You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 21st of January, 2019, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Bage. On today's show, Donald Trump has new ammunition to attack the media after a BuzzFeed report on the Russia investigation is dismissed by Robert Mueller himself, as well as Trump's trumpeter-in-chief, Rudy Giuliani. Yesterday, BuzzFeed published a story that was scandalous. It was horrible. They should be sued. They should be under investigation. They said the president of the United States counsel someone to lie. What they did yesterday is truly fake news and disgusting. My guests Robert Fox and Michael Goldfarb will be discussing what it means for Trump and the media and the day's other top stories, including a German arms dealer intends to sue the government over arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Is this one way for the West to curb support for the Saudi regime and the war in Yemen? And the World Economic Forum is set to open in Davos with a number of noted absences from the world of politics. Will it affect the agenda? And how much does Davos matter in the grand scheme of things? We're here to dig into the serious topics with a bit of levity, all to brighten your blue Monday here on Midori House with me, Daniel Bache. Welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Robert Fox, defense editor for the London Evening Standard and author and journalist Michael Goldfarb. Welcome both to the program, gentlemen. The World Economic Forum opens tomorrow in Davos with business and political leaders gathering for five days of planning, discussion and networking high in the Swiss Alps. Famed though Davos is for its high profile attendees, this year there are some conspicuous absences from the forum, both UK Prime Minister Theresa May and US President Donald Trump too bogged down with issues on the home front to attend. French President Emmanuel Macron as well, passing it over in part so he can continue his grand debate tour, a series of speaking engagements around the country he hopes will help him turn the political tide amidst the Gilets Jaunes protest movement. It won't be a total ghost town, however. New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern, German Chancellor Angela Merkel and Japan's Shinzo Abe will be on hand to discuss this year's theme, Globalization 4.0, shaping a global architecture in the age of the fourth industrial revolution. Well, uh, with all that's going on in the world, Robert, what do you make of of that theme, Globalization 4.0? I think the word, my one word answer to that is grand stand. The trouble is that these are very high profile things that are quite liked by television, a certain kind of television because of the setting, and newspapers like the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal, actually what you hear from the platform really has an effect on anything at all. Mm. Occasionally, and it's usually not a state representative, a Merkel or whatever, who says something, who might say something interesting Mm. about the shaping of the world economy. And it's the kind of uh, figure like, uh, on the one hand, George Soros, or Jim O'Neill, who invented uh, the bricks. It's it's a jamboree. Mm. It's a get-together. It's a schmooze party. But Michael and I, I'm going to steal his thunder. This is the problem. We were sitting in the green room. (laughs) And we'd be gaffing away. And I gave him all my best 
last line. That, you know, some you know, steam. I should have just it's actually kept posting on Facebook. It, it, it's actually a spooks fest. Okay. And uh, it's it's the networking, it's the background stuff, it's the shaping and moving. And what the spooks will be talking about is the ghosts who are not at the yeah. feast. It's not. It's very interesting, those that you named, Trump or Mrs. May or Macron. No. It's Xi and Putin that mm. they will be really looking at and what the hell they're really up to. Well, populism, uh, you know, the downturn in the Chinese economy, so many things going on. Is this a good platform, Michael, a chance to, for you to steal some thunder back here as well? <laughs> a, a good platform uh, for business and politics together. Um, look, my, my impression is actually very similar to Robert's because I've never been, mm. although, you know, I'm, a re I'm really disappointed because, you know, that it is an event that, that grew organically, well, not so organically, Klaus Fuchs, uh, Klaus Fuchs, Klaus Schwab really wanted to make this be what it became and probably was really important about five years ago. It's a place where in a globalized world, you have these captains of industry, you have government, you know, Where's the balance? I mean, is the national government still in charge of a nation's destiny? Or is it a banker in New York mm. or London? Well, we know the answer. Anyone listening to this program knows the answer to that. You know, I, and it's the kind of place where, you know, to, to see um, you know, Jamie Dimon on the floor as a delegate like me at, at a press conference asking Angela Merkel a question. The visual on that is extraordinary, and that's what they try to create. But in an empty hall, I would have been happily gone, by the way, if, mm. if Klaus Schwab had sent me a ticket and paid me a per diem. I'd have happily you know, been, been a background person. But I mean, uh, b before Robert interrupts me, uh, to come back to the point, I mean, the, the idea that of globalization 4.0 Anyone who's paid any attention to what's happened on the face of the earth, geopolitically, the last two years, knows, you know something, that's not what we're about. Yeah. We're facing, don't say populism, don't say nationalism. We're seeing a resurgence of ethnic hatred clothed in fascism. And let's not, let's not make it nice, populism. What does that mean? You see that people who have who have been left behind, grotesquely left behind, by the very people whose lives are built around Davos, are claiming something back, mm. and they're being egged on by people who actually would have gone to Davos as well. I mean, Steve Bannon would have gone to Davos. I mean, either when he was working in Hollywood or when he was working at Goldman Sachs. He would have been Davos' man, but he's been rejected, and now he's trying to destroy that world. I wanted to make... I'm going to bring the footnote up first. The thing that immediately sprung to mind was... Conspiracies love the media, and media love conspiracies. And you're absolutely right about Davos. When it was mm. a semi-weird thing, what's this really going on? They love that. Remember the Bilderberg Group. Mm. And actually, as they build, they are interesting, and they are very important. Look at the Munich Security Conference. As the, uh, the uh, Cold War ground, uh, ground down, right word, and other conflicts grew up, and we were looking in the post-Helsinki uh, Final Act world, everybody forgets about the, those pellucid principles that that embraced, for example, then these things be became important. But if I was to put it, if it's um, uh, globalization for whatever it is, 4.0 or 0.01, Samantha's, mm -hmm. Santo Panza, 
the world is divided into the haves and the haves not have nots and that's where you need to start for to go uh, what they're doing as you rightly identified michael is to go into an old rubric say globalization the whole globalization uh uh proposition can we put it um that came in immediately after the end of the Cold War, and then we had 9-11, and the two are connected within a decade. That is blown. People are worried about globalised values now because it actually favours the haves mm. who are seen as a minority against the increasing number of have-nots. And you can talk development economics and development economic gurus like Sir Paul Collier Akalia up the yin-yang, but people know that that's what's happening. We have 68 million uh, refugees in the world, according to the UN, and then the UN struggles to get together a global compact on migration and says, oops, we've got about a third of a billion migrants who have no state and have no, uh, uh, who don't know where to go. That's not where Davos is going. That is where we see a dysfunctional Middle East, which is probably an oxymoron because it's always, you know, that it, it's always been there. And these are the things that should be addressed. And this is where, actually, it is. It's like uh, my, uh, economic, you know it is? It's, it, it, it's it, economics dancing it's, on ice. You know, yeah. you, Robert's actually absolutely right. Yeah. It's it, 4.0, 4.1, 4.2. You know, you wake up in the morning and your Mac is, is telling you, download Mojave. No, yeah. I, I'm quite fine with the operating system I've got. You know, don't tell me to spend a whole day yep. and probably end up losing half my work installing a new operating system that you've been <laughs> shipping down the line to me. We don't need that now. Well, you, if you have the money and if you have the brains, and you know, it, you can't be dismissive of the people mm. who go. They have money and they do have brains. They should be focusing on precisely these issues and working possibly in concert with the UN. But is the UN Secretary General there who knows? Um, and he's a particularly good UN Secretary General. As I haven't seen him mentioned. Yeah, and that's, yeah, a, and yeah. that's another problem who, in the who world. Who does seem to who have an idea about, about what's going on in the world. Yeah. Yes. With interest yeah. maybe fading in this and all the issues that, that Robert so rightly brought up about, about the have and have-nots, is this then not as important a form as it used to be, Michael, do you think? Well, I, I think that, I mean, look... People build their their lives around it. I mean, Donald Trump was going till he screwed up and, and started this government shutdown. Steve Mnuchin, as Secretary of the Treasury, was going to go until just this weekend when Trump realized, geez, you know, I've, I've canceled Nancy Pelosi's trip. I better cancel Steve Mnuchin's trip to Davos. So they've done that. Um, you know, it has brand recognition, considerably greater brand recognition than Bilderberg, I think, mm -hmm. Robert. Mm -hmm. But if they don't, but you know, you can't have a couple of seasons of being so far off the main topic of conversation with in governments. Like I say, it's you know, here's business, here's government, and they meet up in Davos. If you're going to be that far off the concerns of elected officials, then you're going to lose relevance. Mm -hmm. So they better get it together, I guess, for next year. Is what I'm saying. Fascinating analysis. Both. Let's move on now to Saudi Arabia. Over the past year, the oil-rich kingdom has found itself increasingly in the spotlight following global indignation at the assassination of leading Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Inside the country's embassy in Turkey, the international community has taken notice of some of the kingdom's other equally egregious practices. Key among those has been the ongoing war in Yemen. The Yemeni government, heavily backed by the Saudis, has been battling Iranian-backed Houthi, Houthi militias since 2015, and defense contractors the world over have been reaping the rewards of 
Saudi Arabia's wealth. Uh, While Donald Trump has resisted calls to limit arms sales to Saudi Arabia, Robert, other uh, countries have imposed embargoes. Yesterday, it was reported a German weapons manufacturer plans to sue the German state for loss of revenue following just such an embargo. Does this have legs at all for you? It has legs, but it has very, very cynical legs. Mm. And it's Rheinmetall who are very important in the building of tanks in Western Europe, uh, not only for the uh, brand leader, the Leopard 2 uh, put out by the Germans, but also, um, you know, what the British have laughingly still as uh, a tank industry behind the Challenger 2. That's that's a, 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 a bit nerdy. But it really touches uh, the whole point about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is involved in this um, uh, really breakneck uh, policy led by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, which has uh, three points. And one is to prosecute this extraordinary war in Yemen, which is disastrous. It's leading not only to the uh, distress of a country, but the total collapse of mm. a society. And in terms of humanitarian crises, they're about to break new, new grounds. Uh, well done, Riyadh, uh, uh, on that. The thing is that's very difficult is that actually the bombing campaign that's going on at the moment, and actually they've bombed Sana'a again today, as, as we speak, uh, simply couldn't happen without, forget U.S. arms, it's U.S. flight controllers, ground controllers, targeters, trainers, practically driving the planes. Um, And the Brits and the French are not far behind, and not far behind them are are the Germans. It's egregious, it's it's, um, causing distress, and in some ways, I would dare say, it's a bit of a false prospectus Mm. from the Saudis, but nobody dares say this. It's the Saudis and the UAE, it's MBS, and Mohammed bin Zayed of uh, of the UAE. This is where we confront um, Iran because they are the Iranian proxies. Uh, actually, that is far too simplistic, and it's is either to be generous, it is naive on their on the on their Western backers, or actually totally cynical mm. from a business it's and totally arms cynical. point of view. Robert, back, it's totally cynical in fact, in, 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 in in backing them. Uh, the other thing, by the way, just to add in, is Qatar and this, this which comes, what comes around goes around. It's the way of confronting I- I- Iran. It, it's a totally disastrous and unpredictable path, so much so that the regional power that, in a way, whose interest it is to support Saudi Arabia in yeah. confronting Iran, um, I just want, want to get this off, Michael, is the Israelis. The Israelis are giving, it, giving up on their two wild, unreliable, hitherto allies, mm. the U.S. and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It is very serious, this crisis doesn't get much traction at the moment because it's daily. It's the daily distress of these people. Um, And uh, I think, uh, you know, Chatham House, which is a a venerable, I don't mean to be cynical or snide about that, but a, a very important think tank in the UK, just down the road from here, Yemen, they think, for in terms of regional conflict, is the number one crisis in the world mm. now, as of January 20, uh, 2019. So, sorry, we started with Ryan Mattel. Yes, it's a flag. It's a little red flag of a very, very big problem behind it. So is that, 
is this the idea that, that a business wants to inject itself in, in what the foreign policy may be? I mean, Rheinmetall has also just bought a 55% stake in BAE's combat vehicles division as well. So there are, there are some ties here between Germany, between Brexit, all kinds of strands but there. But the, the thing about the arms industry, um, which exists entirely – it's almost entirely sub- – it's, it's this enclosed system in which we pay taxes – a certain amount of our tax money goes to defense. Developing defense industries, the defense industries then sell on surplus, not for our defense, but they export defense stuff to wealthy countries like Saudi Arabia. And it, it becomes it, – it's not a free market kind of business. It is locked in to the government mechanics in each and every place. Now. I'm, I'm just going to guess here. Rob, Robert is a defense correspondent. I'm a generalist. I'm not a general. I'm a generalist. Um, You're a general. I am a general. I command, I command divisions. <laughs> I command long division. I know how to do it. Um, let's say that Germany, uh, that Angela Merkel is, has announced that she's stepping aside. And I just think that the strong power politically in Germany, is going to wobble a bit. We, we know who her preferred successor is out of the Christian Democrats. She, she will face challenges from within the Christian Democratic Party. Angela Merkel was very powerful. There might have been a time two or three years ago when Rheinmetall would never have dreamed of publicly saying, we're going to sue you because you're screwing us out of X amount of money and, yeah. and, and the Americans will, will take market share from us. So I think there's that dynamic as well. And whenever we talk about defense industries, just always remember that they are the true adjuncts of government. And you mentioned BAE. I mean, it comes out of so many different companies that have merged and merged and merged British aerospace. And I, I've been here for 35 years. I can remember some of these mergers. You know, but it's always because the government needs to have a, needed to have a, a, a more streamlined mm. industrial bureaucracy. So anyway, I mean, and then Robert brings up Yemen. Yemen is, I mean, I, we used to say two or three years ago, Syria was like Spain in the 1930s. But I do think that the much more apt analogy is Yemen today, where you are, you have. The U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia now is a triumvirate, and they really would like to provoke some kind of conflict with Iran. Meanwhile, Iran is on the northern borders of Israel, completely propping up Assad. And in between, and down in, in Yemen, you have this population of people who were dirt poor. They were dirt poor at the start of the war, and they're being destroyed, truly destroyed. And because of the danger of covering the war, and because... Western newspapers here, I mean, we're talking basically in, in the Anglo-American world, were unwilling to put correspondence there. I know one woman, terrific reporter, who was there four or five years ago, Iona Craig. Yeah, on a program very often. A regular for us. You yeah. know, and she, she was great. there. She was there on a... On, on, the, on a no-frills stringer contract. Mm. She was compelled to bear witness. Nobody else went down. Professor Liz Kendall as well, Michael. I slightly disagree with you on that point. Yeah. You, oh, listener, friends, 
You can find out about Yemen if you really want to. Mm. It is out there, and that is why it is an absolute disgrace and a displacement. And this is where I slightly disagree. I'm not quarrelling with you, Michael, but I follow you. I think that the worm is going to turn on this. Actually, the great public, I think the Brits, the Brits are fed up with their told they have a 35 billion, actually, it's 40, 45 billion annual defence budget. And what's it for? It's not to keep Britain safe and our jolly boys. And we've seen some very brave and exceptional service recently. The SAS officer uh, in in the Nairobi uh, uh, shopping complex siege only last week. No, the predicate is support British defence industries, BAE. That, I mean, I, I, I follow, and he was a man before his time, the late Robin Cook, former foreign secretary. Mm. I think we are going to get more and more ethical about this. We are fed up with having been brainwashed by this idea. We're threatened at every turn by the Russians, the Chinese, the Indonesians. You may invent whatever you may. Yes, they are a threat of a certain kind. So we have to spend an enormous amount of money on these arms. Mm. These arms industries can only work if we sell it to people like Saudi Arabia to bomb civilians in Yemen. Fascinating analysis. Uh, Robert, I should ask you just just briefly before we move on, with the, the renewed interest in Yemen and uh, concern about industry with Brexit, is there a fine ethical line to walk there for, for these contractors? Yes, or there is. Yeah. Yes, there is. Um, the, 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 the problem is that BAE, uh, British Aerospace, as it formerly was, is absolutely, has been so based on what it sells to the Middle East, particularly through the Al-Yamama deal, um, to, to Saudi Arabia. And as we look at it, as this thing goes on, it will be time to call time on it, mm. as I think with for the UK. But the French are nowhere near it. And thank God the British are much more advanced on this. It's time to call um, to really call in question the unilateral so-called uh, single British nuclear deterrent, which is going to cost way ahead of 100 billion pounds. But that is not the argument. It is, even intellectually, in deterrent terms, in its own theology, absolutely useless there. Mm. Still with me, Michael Goldfarb and Robert Fox. I want to turn our attention now to the U.S., where the news arm of a website known for clickbait, quizzes, and viral videos is in hot water today. Late last week, BuzzFeed News reported President Donald Trump had instructed his lawyer, Michael Cohen, to lie in his testimony to Congress about dealing with Russia over a possible Trump Tower in Moscow. And BuzzFeed reports the Mueller inquiry knew this. The reporters behind the story have written well-received articles on this exact topic. But in this case, Robert Mueller broke nearly 20 months of silence in denying the news reports around this investigation. Uh, Donald Trump has seized on the denial, saying it's certain proof of what he likes to call the witch hunt by the liberal media against him. Uh, Michael, what do you make of the fact BuzzFeed is standing by its reporting? Well, this is this is one of these stories um, that you wonder whether this is a black op. You wonder whether they just got ahead of them ahead of themselves over their skis. The the, the Mueller Mueller spokesman's denial wasn't a total denial. So the, they got some some things. Some this is not what we heard. Mm. We'll we'll wait and see. Eventually, Mueller's report will come out sooner rather than later. I mean, I woke up Friday early, early, for whatever reason, just after this story dropped in New York. And it was so shocking. I mean, everybody got it immediately. This was... BuzzFeed 
there's BuzzFeed, the quiz site, mm. and they broke away the news division, as it were, BuzzFeed News, because they knew that people weren't taking them seriously because everybody thought it was about taking quizzes. These are serious journalists. One of them has a checkered past. Um, basically, they're saying the president of the United States suborned perjury. That's game, set, and mm. match. Now, Mueller comes back uh, by the, the end of the day, says that's not true. The New York Times did not run with the story, interestingly. And there's a lot of speculation, and this is, this is gossip, but, you know, reasonably informed speculation that the New York Times has its own sources in the Mueller office and also in, in the um, Southern District of New York, which is also investigating Trump. And they said, hands off. They got it. There, there's stuff that's wrong in there. Mm. And my guess is what we're seeing now is that, as I say, they got too far out over their skis. There are details in their report that are incorrect. We'll know more in two weeks' time because Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer and basically his bag man, um, is going to be testifying in mm. front of a House committee. Now that the Democrats control the House of Representatives, they have subpoena power, they've subpoenaed him, come in and tell us what you know. They will put very pointed questions about this to Michael Cohen. So I think we all have to be a bit patient until that happens. But there's one other thing, and, and Robert's chomping on us to come in. Mm. Most people who listen to Monocle will not remember this story, but I do because I do know people who were involved in it. Back in the early 2000s, CBS News reported, this is a big deal, that George W. Bush, who was then president, had gone AWOL during the Vietnam War. He had a very cushy position in the uh, Air Force Reserve. That was the way he got out of serving in Vietnam. And they had documents which proved he had not attended one of his weekend requirements. And it turned out the documents had been doctored. They were set up. It was probably a black op from within the Bush White House. Because they knew the story, because they thought they had it, but they didn't have it nailed down, they were susceptible to a piece of paper that came over the transom, and it turned out that it was a forgery. Hmm. I think BuzzFeed, I, I, as soon as I saw the BuzzFeed news thing, I went over to Twitter, and of course, everybody in Washington is up tweeting, tweeting, tweeting. And I started tweeting back, just remember this, just remember this. It may be, you know, and it's probably likely that George Bush was AWOL a couple of weekends, but it didn't matter. It ruined Dan Rather's career because mm. on the specifics of this, he was wrong. And I worry that BuzzFeed may have got those few facts wrong they've been set up and they have and and it's going to put a pall over whatever robert Mueller says mm. which is why Mueller came out so quickly well interesting Mueller's office said that buzzfeed's characterization of documents and statements uh was inaccurate uh we should point out that cohen is in jail for lying to congress just unclear if the present president told him to do this. But out of this, Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, did say Trump was involved in discussions to build a skyscraper in Moscow throughout the presidential campaign at a time when he was calling for an end to economic sanctions against Russia, questioning the legitimacy of NATO, which Putin loves to hate, and seeking a deal to release hacked Democratic emails said to be stolen by Russia. So, Robert, did we get more clarity on this, the things that are actually true out of this story that may be inaccurate or totally wrong? Well, 
That's why he's been so effective with coming up with the formula fake news, which works fine on Twitter. But when you really have to discuss the whole thing, which needs a slow tempo, you need to drop your heartbeat and you need a lot of investigation. Mm. This, if anything, we learned from the Watergate investigation, you know, all the president's men, it was no, by no means as electric and single source as it is made out within the, in the movie and, of course, and, and even the book by, by Woodward and, and Bernstein. Um, what is going on here, I think, is that they have really got to deep into it. And I was saying to Michael before we came in, uh, a metaphor that didn't immediately strike him, is how close are the wolves getting to the sled at, at the moment? And I suspect they are. And this is what is worrying Muller. I think that's why they're scared about what happened with Buzz, BuzzFeed, because you cannot put a millimeter, a fingernail wrong now. I think it's worrying Rudy Giuliani from mm. the various quotes that he has given. What is the Trump relationship with, with, with Russia? And we've had, on the other side, these incredible stories, um, whether they're true or not, I'm still not convinced about Trump at a meeting with Putin demanding that the interpreter tears up her notes and, 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 and so on. But what does Putin really want? And there was a very, very good short piece in the Financial Times this week by a great Putin and Trump watcher, Edward Luce, in saying, just watch. Is the end game, and we know that they're both great disruptors, they're the two great disruptors, the disruption of NATO. And this is where actually Trump himself is boxed in, because if he moves on NATO, then that's when the tanks will move in on his lawn big time. I don't think this is going to be the casus belli, but it's another thing. What is interesting is the maturity with which Mueller has manoeuvred on, on this, but it is not game over by any manner of means yet. Fascinating from both of you. Thank you so much. That does bring us to the end of today's show. Michael Goldfarb and Robert Fox. Today's show produced by Augusta Machilari, researched by Fernando Augusta Pacheco and Martha Libri. Our studio manager, David Stevens. There is more music next. And then at 1900 hours, it is the Monocle Culture Show. And we'll have more on the day's top news stories on the Monocle Daily with your host, Marcus Hippie. 2200 London time, 1400 in Los Angeles. Midori House, back tomorrow. I'm Daniel Bates. Thank you for listening and goodbye.